So this is the story of a guy who finds, um, in a way, a certain sort of fame mm. from something he doesn't really have a whole lot of control over. He is discovered, and he's just a just a wide-eyed kid with a dream, and he finds out that fame is not all that it's cracked up to be. Oh no! Kay, have you seen Boogie Nights? I have not. No. Buckle up, because it's pretty long. What? <laughs> Everyone's given one special thing, right? Everyone's blessed with one special thing. I want you to know I plan on being a star. A big, bright, shining star. Eddie Adams from Torrance. Yep. Jack Horner, filmmaker. I make uh, exotic pictures. In 1977, a kid from nowhere made me think about your name. My name, yeah. Something a little pizzazz. Dirk Diggler. Good name. I like your name a lot. Had a dream of getting somewhere. Jack Horner has found something special in newcomer Dirk Diggler. So let me just pop in this A-track, and you just give a listen to him what you think, OK? It was a time when disco was king. These are the ones. These are great. Yeah, those are really cool. Are they lizard? No, they're Italian. Do you like my shoes? They're pretty cool. Sex was safe. Pleasure was a business. Cut. Terrific. Nice work. And business was booming. And the award for best newcomer goes to Mr. Dirk Diggler. Wow. Goodbye, 1979. Hello, 1980. Are you ready? But in 1980... Come on, you puppies! The party was over. You are fired! What? You're fired! <laughs> it's jealousy, it's deceitfulness, it's vindictiveness, but, I mean, God, what can you expect when you're on top? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Not this part. New Line Cinema presents... A portrait of two decades in the life of a business, the days of a dreamer, and the nights in between. Boogie Nights. Hello, welcome back to K. Have You Seen? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And today we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, breakthrough hit, 1997's Boogie Nights. Um, and as per usual, Kari, having not seen this movie before very, very recently, would you do us a favor and kind of give us a summary in your own words of what this movie's all about? Sure. So young Eddie, played by Mark Wahlberg, is working at this disco nightclub restaurant type thing uh, and gets recognized by an older filmmaker played by Burt Reynolds. Um, he's quickly kind of whisked away into this world of fantasy porn films but you know this this hollywood glitzy world this kind of family that takes him into kind of his adulthood uh as we follow his his meteoric rise and then kind of fall um through through the next i guess maybe six years yep not quite a decade but yeah basically a good chunk of time so roughly that's pretty much it yeah that's um a 
an excellent and concise summary of what this movie is about. Um, I would put it even more simply, this movie is essentially Goodfellas, but with porn instead of the mafia. Okay, we. I'm sure we'll talk about this. Definitely. I always say that, but there's a lot of connections to a lot of different films we've watched yes. so far. Goodfellas being probably the number one, but... Right. Um, and let me pull up a quick official synopsis here just to compare notes. I'm sure it'll be very, very uh, similar. Set in 1977, back when sex was safe, pleasure was a business, and business was booming, <laughs> idealistic porn producer Jack Horner aspires to elevate his craft to an art form. He discovers Eddie Adams, a hot young talent working as a busboy in a nightclub, and welcomes him into the extended family of movie makers, misfits, and hangers-on that are always around. Adam's rise from nobody to a celebrity adult entertainer is meteoric, and soon the whole world seems to know his porn alter ego, Dirk Diggler. Right. So, um, critics love this movie, mm. needless to say. Um, 93% fresh, 89% audience score. Um, pretty much an instant hit when it landed in 1997. Um, Roger Ebert, big fan, gave it four stars. Um, as he called it, uh, it's an epic of the low road. A classic Hollywood story set in the shadows instead of the spotlights, but containing the same ingredients. Fame, envy, greed, talent, sex, money. So, that's, you know, kind of gives you a sense of what this movie is about. It's not... This movie is not smutty itself, I would say. It is just... It's a very, I would say, attempting to be a high-class movie about people who make porn. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not smutty. There's really... Not a lot of nudity in this movie. Surprisingly one. little. Very surprisingly, and obviously intentionally based on the subject matter. But, um, yeah, it's it's treating smuttiness as kind of the subject, but it's not smutty itself. Right, which I've got a fun fact about that once we get a little bit further oh, down. Yes, but on. before we get there, what... First of all, I'm going to try to guess what you thought of this movie. And oh, yeah. I would guess you probably found it intriguing capital F filmic mm. more than more than like enjoyable on its on for just like an experience is that more is that more or less the case um I enjoyed it okay. I liked it I liked the movie um it's one of those that took me a long time to figure out where it was going like I don't think I knew where it was going mm-hmm. until the end and I was like oh, okay <laughs> I actually I I was watching this and had to pause in the middle to run and do something and I was watching it with a friend and we started making predictions about how this was going to end. Oh. And we're across the board almost completely wrong. Oh, wow. Like, some of the bigger, some of the predictions were like, oh, he's going to have a rise and then fall. I, we stopped, mm-hmm. like, maybe, if this is a two and a half hour movie, I think we stopped, like, an hour in. So he had kind of just started making movies. He had just created his character. They were, you know, he had become part of this family but we didn't really know how successful he was going to be yet so we guessed that success would go to his head we guessed that part and then he's going to come to a fall at some point but everything outside of that pretty much wrong so oh, it wow. was okay. a surprising movie um i did i did enjoy it there were some really stressful parts yeah there were some parts that you're kind of like i was kind of like what is the what is the point here why is this happening or why are we making such a big deal about certain things that we make a very big deal about but overall i i did enjoy it it was capital f filmic but not in a way that ever distracted me 
Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it in the way I liked okay. Goodfellas, where it's just like, oh, oh this okay. is an interesting group of people that I don't mind spending this amount of time with. Great. And it was a significant amount of time. <laughs> it was. Uh, this might be our longest movie yet. Nearly, I think it's two hours and 32 minutes. Yeah. That's longer than Goodfellas? I think Goodfellas is slightly short. It's like 220-something. So oh. it barely edges that one out. Um... Yeah, definitely a movie that's not afraid of uh, meandering on its way to a point, which For sure. uh, I, I don't hate. I, I kind of like movies that are like that sometimes yeah. if they do it well. A mm-hmm. um, lot of just departures. Um, I don't really have a strong background in this movie. I've seen yeah. it twice before this. I think I saw it for the first time when I was in college. Okay. Um, just because it was one of those movies that I heard about, heard it was good, and decided to watch it. I, you know what it probably was? I think mm. I had just seen... I think There Will Be Blood had just come out, and so I was interested in Paul Thomas Anderson, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to check this one out. Okay. Um, which... That one I have not seen. So okay, that's like excellent. To. For yeah. sure we're putting that one on the list. Um... Now, as far as movies that maybe it would, you know, pair well with or that it, you know, might give you a little bit of context as to what the the movie itself is like. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already mentioned Goodfellas. I mean, the similarities are endless. Mm-hmm. I also feel like, you know, not too long ago we talked about Ed Wood, and I feel like that is a yes. very similar kind of movie. They're like mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin, um, you know, the, whereas Ed Wood is making low-quality movies about high-minded subjects, you would say that the people in um, Boogie Nights are doing the exact opposite. They're making high-quality yeah. high quality, high quality movies about low-quality subjects. But... I think that's totally fair. One movie, actually, another movie that we've talked about before that I thought was interesting and had definitely some connections was Happiness. I thought the same thing. Yeah, so Edward, um, Goodfellas, and Happiness were the ones that kept coming to mind mm-hmm. from what we've already talked about. Yes. And I think if you married all three of those together... You'd kind of have this movie plus uh, Mark yeah. Wahlberg that you would have yeah. this movie. I, I, you wouldn't be far off. I'd say mm-hmm. um, it deals with some of the same themes as Happiness, but not quite in the same way, and not quite in the way that's exclusively intended to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Although this movie will certainly make some people uncomfortable, depending on how prudish you are. That's well, kind of the for thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and even if you're not, there are still some scenes that are profoundly uncomfortable for various <laughs> reasons. Um, oh, yeah, and we definitely need to talk about all of those. Absolutely, because, I, I oh, insist yeah. that we do. Um, and then, really, if you're if you're really feeling like you got a wild hair, maybe pair it with something a little bit more risque, like maybe one of the like deep throat Debbie Does Dallas movies from this period. I mean, if you were really that curious about it, then right, yeah, any of the. It does make for you... context <laughs> for the art. It's similar to Ed Wood. It makes you curious about like, oh, you know, not having any familiarity with these not being raised in the 70s or anything the movies that they would have mm-hmm. been making you're kind of like what what like you just wouldn't you wouldn't see a movie like that in theaters anymore no i was gonna movies, say anymore correct yes yeah movies like that just don't you know it I, it is kind of funny at one point they say the whole like there's a whole thing about like oh, you think videotapes and amateurs are the future? Yes. Like, what? And you're like, oh. There's oh. a whole, like, new media subplot in this movie that yes. I think is great, especially because you and I both work in video mm-hmm. now that it, it's it's amazing to see the way they were approaching the shift from 35mm film to VHS in the late 70s, early 80s, which right. I guarantee... Go ahead. Go ahead. What are you, yeah, well, go ahead. it brought in another movie that we've talked about before, uh-huh. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're yeah. right. I saw that wow. scene because they have a whole conversation, Burt Reynolds, and um, where did I recognize that guy from? Not the colonel, but the guy who kind of stepped in after the colonel. Okay. I, I know who you're talking about, and I can't remember his uh, name either. His name's Floyd 
Gianucci or something like that in the movie, and I cannot remember the actor's name. And he's uh, it's he's something been ridiculous. He's been it's around. something like uh, like one of the anchormans or that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so they have a whole conversation about like uh, videotapes instead of film and mm-hmm. amateurs instead of these like paid you know professional actors and stuff in mm-hmm. these smut movies, these right, exploitation yeah. movies. No, they're just straight up porn. They're not even like sexploitation movies. They're just, just straight porn. up pornos. Fair yeah. enough. I may just not know where the line is drawn. But um, yeah, so there was that. Uh, oh, another movie actually that um, we haven't talked about, and I, I don't know if you've seen actually, is um, Loveless that came out a couple years ago. It was. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the yeah. Amanda Seyfried mm-hmm. movie about, about the um, woman creating who made Deep Throat. Deep Throat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot of this. I think. Oh, you've seen that one? Yes. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I agree. That would make a great pairing with this one. Yeah, that one I think is maybe a little bit more somber than Boogie Nights. Probably a lot more close, more true to life, I would say. Sure, you know? sure. I mean, it's an exploitative business, and, yeah. you know, they can try to clean it up as much as, you know, as much as you want. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, every. Every group or person that makes these porno films are, you know, monsters necessarily. But, I mean, it is a business that has been rife with exploitation and abuse since its inception, pretty much. Right. And to be, like, you know, Loveless does a lot about, focuses a lot on kind of the the female point of view on that. She's exploited by her husband, basically, Mm -hmm. to make these films. And we really don't see the female characters too closely. There are definitely plenty of female characters in Boogie Nights, mm-hmm. I mean. But, um, and, you know, we see a little bit of, like, Julianne Moore's struggle, struggle mm-hmm. but it's never, we never see the relationship between the sexes yeah. in that light, which I think is kind of, it would be hard to delve into that without addressing the inherent sexism. There are moments and subplots that deal mm-hmm. with that subject, but you're right. It's not front and center like it is in Loveless, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but moving down the line here, uh, talking a little bit about the cast and crew, really, the, the the true, even though Mark Wahlberg is the lead actor, the star of this movie is Paul Thomas Anderson, the director. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I would say this is his second feature, um, and really the one that established him as a superstar director. Mm-hmm. Um, like a director of stupor- superstars or a superstar of a, a director? a superstar on his own, both, this actually. this is a yes. star-studded yes, movie. Yes, the cast is amazing. Paul Thomas Anderson was 27 when he directed this movie. He was what? 27 years old when he made this movie. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, I agree. And, oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, we talked during the Ed Wood episode about the fact that Orson Welles was 26 when he made Citizen Kane. For some reason, this feels like a bigger deal, and I don't know why... It just seems like in the modern age, that's just not something that can happen, that you can make this movie when you're in your mid-twenties. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, for so many reasons. It's an epic, basically, mm-hmm. both in length and kind of in the amount of coverage it it takes, of you know, six years yep. or so. Um, just, yeah, for so many reasons. And then I can't even imagine being 27 years old and trying to direct people like Burt Reynolds, like Reynolds, Julianne Moore... Paul Thomas, or not Paul Thomas, Philip but Seymour Hoffman, yep. Mark Wahlberg, like having that whole guy all together, yes. like, let alone one of them in a movie, mm-hmm. Don Cheadle, like yeah. you've got all these people that you have to direct and you are 27, 27 years, years old. 27 years old, yeah. I'm 29 and that would make me wet my pants if like, they if that actually came to pass. If I woke up tomorrow morning and they said, um... Burt Reynolds, Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Heather Graham are uh, ready for their scene. I'd 
I would lose my mind. Yeah, I would be like, I'm I'm not home. Yeah. Find someone else. That's crazy. <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. Like, he did an amazing job. Yeah. Like, kudos to you. That's For you... sure. Oh man. And I I think that in this particular movie, he exercises one of the greatest skills that I think any director can possess. Uh, which is that and he exercises a lot of skills in this movie, but in this case, I think the greatest one is that he can lead mediocre actors to really good performances. Oh, how, who in particular? I don't think Mark Wahlberg's a good actor. Oh, okay. I also, I, as much as I love Burt Reynolds, I don't think he is what you would call a good actor. Uh-huh. Like, both Mark Wahlberg and Burt Reynolds are really good at playing characters that are basically Them. Mark Wahlberg uh, and Burt okay. Reynolds. <laughs> in this film... Paul Thomas Anderson is able to actually get characters out of both of them. Sure. Um, And that is an immense skill that I think is not talked about enough. Like, Mm -hmm. anybody can get Daniel Day-Lewis to deliver an Oscar-caliber performance. It's not hard. It's just inherent in him. It takes skill to get an Oscar-nominated performance out of Burt Reynolds, which is what happened here. Yeah. I, I mean, thinking about it now that you've said it... I think they might have been, like, the weakest actors in this movie, possibly, mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic movie. Like, that is, yeah, you you got to give the director a lot of credit for yeah. that. And then uh, before we move on from Paul Thomas Anderson, there's this one quote that I found from him that I thought was very interesting. When he's talking about the mood that he wanted to establish in this film, he says, quote, I felt it should maybe resemble my personal experience of watching a porno film. Incredibly funny one second, turns me on the next, then incredibly depressing, and so on, up and down. And... That's a, I, I think, mission accomplished, I yeah, would say. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, moving down to the cast, Mark Wahlberg, obviously, as, like, the central character of this film. Like I said, I don't think he's a particularly good actor, but I think he delivered a really good performance here. Yes, the I gotta say, the first time we see him, the wig was so obvious <sighs> that it was very distracting. But his acting performance itself was not terrible. Uh, him paying 27, or 27, 17. yeah was a little strange at the beginning. A little bit, I didn't yeah. totally believe it. But he I'm yeah, I think not to the point of throwing me off entirely. So like, in his look, yeah, but I would say his performance, like in a lot of moments, he acts very much like a believable seventeen year old. Yeah. I yeah, and I do think we saw a range from him in this movie yeah. that's not what I would think of for Mark Wahlberg right. at all. You know, the the times where he is really kind of pathetic yes in the beginning there's kind of the scene when he first meets burt reynolds and you kind of you get a good idea of what his life is like yes. basically he's like it thinks burt reynolds is trying to come on to him yeah because that's exactly how he's making money on the side yeah. is guys just want to watch him jerk off basically yeah. yes so that moment and then there's like a you know obvious call back to that later in the movie when he's already kind of gone through his huge meteoric rise as you will mm-hmm. um that those scenes like that was he played those really well yeah he you're pathetic is probably the best way to describe it like and i put this farther down in the notes but i might as well bring it up now just the idea of like this movie does a great job of humanizing characters who are very 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 stupid you know <laughs> it, like it's like basically you know it, it, it's funny sometimes it's very sad other times it's like it you know yeah Intelligent people have, like, a collective guilty pleasure of, like, finding humor in the stupidity of other, like, less intelligent people. And, but I think this movie, in, in one of the things that it's saying is that these people are humans, too, and they've got real feelings. They may not always be good at articulating their feelings, which is, I think, the moments where Mark Wahlberg, in particular, is the most 
pitiable, not just uh-huh. pathetic, but pitiable, is in moments where he is obviously overwhelmed with emotion mm-hmm. and he can't put it into words. Yeah. Like, case in point, the scene where his mom throws him out of the house is, like, gut-wrenching. Yeah. Like, contender for worst mom in cinema, yeah. I would say. And you don't even have to know anything about it. Because that no. whole scene, I was like, what is wrong with her? Like, does yeah. she have a problem? Was she abused? Is she just abusive? Like, mm-hmm. but you never find out. You're just like, she's a bad mom the bottom line is what she is doing to her own son now there are there are reasons for that whether they're you know whether we would consider those you know reasonable reasons or not doesn't matter i mean Mm -hmm. the fact is like this is we are getting basically eddie adams's experience here we're Mm -hmm. seeing it from his perspective he doesn't know his mom's background necessarily all he knows is what's happening to him right now right and that was one of my predictions halfway through the movie is like oh his parents are going to find out it's going to be a whole Mm -hmm. new big thing no he leaves his parents house and you never see them again there is the one scene toward the very end where he walks into a house and it turns out it's jack's house i forgot whether it was jack's house or his parents house for a moment I thought it was true family's house. Yes, and I think that is exactly what the thesis of this movie is. Anyway, that was something I just wanted to put out there. I thought that it was, uh, you know, his inarticulate freakouts, which one of like he he is granted when he's not being pitiful, he is a hilarious dumb person. Like some of those lines, like it's like Napoleon, you know, when he was the king, people would constantly try to attack him, you know, in the Roman Empire. (laughs) The Roman Empire. Oh, him and um, John C. Riley, which is how you led into this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. When I when we first saw him in the movie, I was like, "Oh my god, this is a different John C. Riley well, than I like, know." Like, he's like half the size of John C. Riley. He's, he's so skinny. He seems like a foot taller and like <laughs> yeah. two feet less wide. Like it's he's totally a different shape. But he, so I saw that and I was like, "Wow, this is a different John C. Riley than I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. And then like. You know, two minutes into meeting his character, you're like, no, this it's, is the James. It's the James, same one. Same John C. Riley. It's just, how much do you bench? Oh, yeah, I'm benching like, like 300. And then, but then at the same time, like you're saying, like, he is such a good friend. So yeah. you really do feel for him. Like, you, you root for him, even though half of the time you're watching him, you're like, what a dummy. Well, it's it's funny because, like, in this movie, I'm ass- they don't really say explicitly how old John C. Riley is supposed to be. I'm assuming, like, 20. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg is supposed to be, like, you know, 17, 18 or yeah. whatever. Another Goodfellas parallel. Yeah, exactly. But they're playing a little bit older. But, like, um, I looked it up. John C. Riley was only, like, 32 or something like that when he made this movie, which is still okay. considerably older. Yeah. Than, like, um, the 18 he's It's not 36-year-old uh, Ray Liotta playing yeah. a 21-year-old. Let's put it that way. But anyway. A little no, better Hollywood. With yeah, John C. Riley and Mark Wahlberg, like no, having seen the movie before, like it, I always laugh when I see that first scene when they meet over like the margarita mm-hmm. and like, because I know that what's coming is like one of the best friendships I have oh, ever seen in a movie. Like the bromance is they so are the broest of bros, <sighs> and like it's the it's the best. It is so great. <laughs> Later when um. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is trying to launch his like record career, his yes. like, music career. That was one of the funniest parts of the oh, movie. Oh my god! Just the two of them riffing off, off each other. You like, got the touch. touch. <laughs> He's like, maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. You got the power. Yeah. He's signaling more vocals. You gotta be over here. 
Okay, less bass, less bass. Yeah. Like, like, like you, you got the top, and he's like, yeah, okay, like playing guitar next. It's so, and then they're like yelling at the guy, the the guy who owns, I guess, the recording studio, so yeah. they can take it to the actual record label. And he's like, no, you got to like pay me for the tapes. I'm like, what? What are you not getting about? That makes literally no sense. We got to get paid from the record label to get the tapes. And the guy's like, no, no. And Nick, the put upon um, producer, the sound energy yeah. engineer, just. A breakout B cast role, just amazing, so great. Yeah, I probably wanna... had no lines, and his yeah. just face of like, oh my god, was yeah. perfect. <laughs> I mean, again, we've both worked in client based services long enough to know <laughs> that sometimes you just got to give the client what they want and keep your mouth shut. Yeah, um, they are the experts. Yeah, um, so the funniest funny. part about like when they were in the sound booth, I thought was that John C. Riley was. Not bad on the guitar. No, Mark not Wal- terrible. Mark Wahlberg was just that bad. Like, honestly, You Got the Touch would not be that bad of a song if the vocals were any good. Yeah, which they were They not. were not. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you mentioned before, this this is a star-studded cast, if ever there was one. Um, we didn't really talk that much about Burt Reynolds because he does a good performance, but he doesn't really do a lot, mm. I would say. Um, Julianne Moore, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about her a Fabulous. little bit further on, but an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Heather Graham, really good. Yeah. Um, Don Cheadle was great. Uh, so, you really, I really felt for him. If you talk he, about, like, pitiful... He like, was the he most, was so I would pitiful. say, the most likable character. Sure, yeah. Or maybe the most likable male character, at least. Yeah, at the very least. Yeah, he's just, like, he didn't do anything unlike... Like, for everybody else, there's kind of this rise and fall, these mm-hmm. peaks and valleys of, like, oh, okay, they're, they made some bad choices, or they're not always the best. Yeah. And then some, like, oh, but, like, you know, they're trying, and they love the people they love, and whatever. Yeah, Don Cheadle doesn't really ever have a dip. You're just kind of like, every time you see him, you're like, well, that guy, like, come on. Yeah, and we'll get into this more later on, but, like, I loved the idea that, you know, it seemed like he was constantly looking for a new look as, like, a way to, like, you know, find himself. But, like, as soon as he started that relationship with that, I cannot remember her name, but that blonde one, Jesse. The oil painter. He he immediately, like, became comfortable in his own skin. And I loved that. That was so sweet. They had, like, a sweet love story that was just, like, a very deeply buried subplot. Like, there's no real point. Mm -hmm. You honestly could have taken them completely out of the movie, and it wouldn't have been that different. And I do want to talk about their storyline, because it gets very dramatic at it the does. end. It does. And that's what I was going to say when you were talking about that just a second ago was that their the sur- that their entire subplot seems to build toward one particular scene. Yeah. And it's your they they could basically they, they were it was like we were peeking into a different movie every now and then when yeah. they would come up, which I didn't hate. I thought it was great. Um, I did want to say about his look, another one of the funniest scenes is at the New Year's party when they're kind of panning through the whole party. You see some tracking shots. Everyone's like doing their own thing. And you see him, Don Cheadle, just like sitting sadly by himself at a table, basically dressed like um, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Just like sitting at a table. Or Rick James or something. Yeah. And it's just like... He looked like Rick James in the Super Freak video is what he looked like. <laughs> yeah, that was that was crazy. It was just um, wild. Yeah. And then, of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman um, can't leave him out because, I mean, yeah. he, he, small part, but a very good performance from him. Yeah. Um, and again, second time we've seen him. He's a, he is a direct connection to happiness, of course. Yep. Um, I had seen the scene of him with Mark Wahlberg, like the scene where he's showing him his car... You'd seen that scene before? 
I'm trying to remember where. Like, I wonder if it was like an immemorium thing. Possibly. After he had died. It, That's the, a possibility. Like, what did you think of my car? What did you think? I was going to take it back if you didn't like it. Yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. whole thing. I had seen that before and I don't know where. But if you don't remember it, I maybe have no it's idea, not. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, his character is just kind of like another one of these sad sacks and a long line of sad sacks that yeah. has like, a, he's he's got a huge crush on Mark Wahlberg. Which, yeah. And he's just, again, quite frankly, I mean, he does inspire a lot of pathos, but at the same time, he's also kind of dumb. Like, he's not, yeah. he's not particularly smart. He, oh. in, you know, I, <laughs> frankly, I thought that this movie was a little bit, it portrayed... <laughs> A 1979, 1980 reaction to being uh, forcibly kissed by a, a, another male in a much more progressive manner than I think it probably would have actually gone down at the time. Maybe I mean they are porn stars. I also kind of expected much more homosexuality out of this movie. Really? Yeah. For all the bromance that was happening, yeah. I was like, okay, the, like some of this is maybe it wasn't going to be like oh like the ending relationship for any of them. Right. I thought it was going to be more of the plot, but Uh not really at all. No, and honestly... and We really don't have any homosexual characters um, besides... Except for the guy that, like, paid Mark Wahlberg to jack off in his truck. That guy was obviously gay. Oh, yeah, but he was also, like, a... Like, one of... I don't know. His buddies came by in the truck. Yeah, to, like, beat him up. Yeah, beat him up. So, I mean... He I was obviously the like, point. It was like forty-five minutes into the whole episode, like yeah, the whole. Yeah. So if you're gonna pull that whole like, oh, gotcha, I, I catfished you into proving you're gay, I guess, and now I'm gonna beat you up for yeah. it. it. It was an awful long time. It that was a this lot. Guy I'm just, telling like, you, that guy, that, that guy watched that, Mark Wahlberg for him to be like, gotcha. I, I guarantee that in like that guy was like just himself oh. in denial. And yeah. he he volunteered. I guarantee yeah. he volunteered. So I'll, I'll do. I guess I'll do it. I'll be the bait. I'll be the bait. No, let's get him. But like, oh, somebody's got to do it. I might as well do it. Um, uh, yeah. Stupid. But it, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of gay stuff in this movie. Like yeah. this is like predominantly a pretty straight movie. Um, but that's you know that's the movie. Although there is like kind of like subtext in a couple of parts, particularly with Tom. That is a perfect transition to Tom Jane as the exotic dancer, the guy with the glorious mustache. Oh, yes. That was, uh, and um, the whole reason why they were going to Rahad Jackson's house was because Tom Jane knew him from the uh, uh, the strip club that he worked oh, at. Oh, okay. I didn't pick up that that's what it's he was. It's deep in the dialogue. okay. deep in the dialogue. And then Rahad Jackson, I you can only assume that he's got something going on with the Chinese guy throwing the firecrackers. Like, <laughs> um, who weird. knows? The whole scene, oh, that whole scene was very stressful. Yes. The most stress I felt in the whole movie. Go on. We'll get. We'll for sure get into okay. that. Real, but real quick, um, I, I kind of want to blow through this part. Yeah. How familiar are you with John Holmes and the Wonderland murders? Not at all. I'm a, not a big true crime person, okay. which has not come up in this podcast yet. But right. Yeah, not my thing. Neither am I. However, okay, so this movie is loosely based on a porn star from the 70s named John Holmes, mm-hmm. who, much like Eddie Adams slash Dirk Diggler, was his claim to fame was that he was abnormally gigantic in his trousers. <laughs> that was basically the only thing that really set him oh, apart that, from anybody uh, else. Oh, was true about Mark Wahlberg in this movie? They didn't really make it clear. I didn't really pick up on that. Oh, yeah. Even after the 16,000 scenes about yeah. everyone telling him how big he was. But yeah. yes, go on. Big long ding dong. But um, anyway... He kind of fell on hard times in the early 80s as well because he got into drugs and that affected his performance in more ways than one. Um, And so, long story short, no pun intended, he got involved with, like, this gang of drug dealers 
and was arrested at one point in connection with um, these murders that became known as the Wonderland murders. Mm -hmm. The scene that you were just talking about is very loosely based on that murder situation. Um, But at any rate, so he was like a real life, like superstar in like the late seventies and early eighties. And this movie is very loosely based on his career. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so moving straight along here um, in terms of style. Mm -hmm. I mean, this movie is very flashy and stylish, but and I don't want to call it derivative because mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson is very good and he doesn't need to be derivative. But it bears a lot of similarity, I think, in particular to Scorsese movies mm-hmm. and Tarantino movies, yeah. who were both very hot at this period in the mid-90s. Um, Tarantino had three movies out, but now Scorsese had been popular for like 20 years. And, you know, both of them would have been high on the, you know, very front and center in the mind of a young filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you notice plenty of similarities to Goodfellas. I mean, this movie draws a lot yeah yeah i i think we've touched on it a lot but you know i think the the rise and fall of um eddie and shoot who's the main guy from goodfellas what's his name oh, uh, character. Uh, henry hill henry hill uh, henry and eddie like I, down to the cocaine addiction yep. part like that's leading directly to their downfall yeah that that's huge and yeah i think if you tracked kind of the plot and their trajectory it would be very similar mm-hmm. um but yeah and then this similar style of just this kind of meandering something else besides slice of life but like a, a true life mm-hmm. you know in a similar way of like a boyhood or something like that where it's not really about what happens it's more uh, about if, if, a manhood if you will <laughs> Yeah, where you're not really, it's not really following a series of events. It's more following kind of a life and some things yeah. are more important than others. Some things stick, some things don't. Um, yeah, I think that Scorsese um, is definitely a yeah. major influence here. Tarantino, you can definitely see it. I think it's less, I guess, yeah, it's Tarantino, kind of the color and flashiness. Yes, yeah. The dialogue is not as flashy as a Tarantino movie, for sure. sure. But in yeah. terms of, like, camera style, like, mm-hmm. it's very... I, I a lot of times, I was like, this could be a scene from a Tarantino movie, for mm-hmm. sure. I couldn't tell you an exact example, but just throughout, every now and then, I was just like, yeah, for sure, that's, like, that's almost the same. Yeah. Um, it I, seemed to me, anyway. Yeah, it's, like, more cartoon... Boogie Nights is more cartoonish than a Scorsese film, and mm. I feel like that's the Tarantino in it. I agree. I think okay. that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, this movie... Like, obviously, from the moment it came out, Goodfellas was, like, a major touchstone for people who were interested in film. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a hugely influential movie from the very beginning. And this movie, Boogie Nights, opens with the Goodfellas Steadicam shot, basically, going into a nightclub. Uh And that's your entree into this world. Oh, so true. And the balls it takes... The level of hubris and confidence that it takes to open your movie with the key shot from Goodfellas, it takes a young director. Yeah, it takes Honestly. a 27-year-old film buff to yeah. think that that's some guy yeah. who's like, some guy who recognizes how much he is just like hot shit because he is this young and he gets to direct this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, this is the fun fact that I mentioned earlier, was mm-hmm. that... Um, Again, sort of with style, I guess, under that umbrella. Paul Thomas Anderson said that originally he wanted this movie to be either three hours long or more, Mm. or 
No, I'm sorry, not either or, both. He said he wanted to be three hours long or more and NC-17. And the studio said, absolutely not. We'll never sell a single ticket. That's a mix on both. Yeah, Yeah, and so he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to put a a challenge to myself and make it neither. And he said that the harder part was definitely making it. He said, weirdly, the harder part was to make it not NC-17. Really? Yeah. Because I thought that was done so artfully. Like... I, I thought that was a really interesting choice because you really do expect much more nudity. Yeah. There's definitely some violence, and I don't think they scaled back in any noticeable way it. there. But for the subject matter, you really do expect it to be kind of graphic, sexually. Oh, yeah. It is not at all, and it's a lot of, you know, framing. It's a lot of kind of yes. artful blocking of things. There's, like, the f- I don't know. Yeah, There's one thing that I think was kind of, stupid but go on the whole thing about mark Wahlberg's penis and it's like you never see it until the very end Mm -hmm. just like i don't know why we needed to see it at all if you're gonna go that long and then it's like ta-da like i think whatever okay i'll defend that only because i think that that was like basically giving the on like giving letting the audience give into their own curiosity mm-hmm. more than anything else because it is throughout the rest of the two and a half hour runtime conspicuous in its absence yeah yeah and in that and so it's like by the time you get to that point the last thing you're expecting is that even yeah. though at some point at least once during the movie you have to be kind of curious like how big are we talking about here like <laughs> what exactly is such a such a thing about this thing yeah and then finally you're like ta-da like i think that that was like you said it like kind of dismissively but i think that's actually exactly what it was that was basically like that was it was that and then credits yeah, and it's, so it's pretty ba- much that yeah. was more or less the bow at the end of the film <laughs> um and that is i mean if if there hadn't have been such a like you said conspicuous absence yes that scene, it would have been nothing. Like, you wouldn't right. have cared that that happened. But it was kind of a, like, okay. Like, yeah. all right. Yep. You, you, fair. It fair. makes you, sense. Yeah. You piqued our curiosity, and now you've paid off what you've built up. I'm so. not going to, like, uh, I'm not going to say that that was the only way to end the movie, but it does make sense. It does. And I won't say, like, it was a terrible choice. It just... It also made me roll my eyes a little bit because I was like, okay, like, all right. Also, I mean, to your point, though, it looks very fake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot there's of... There's nothing anatomically correct about that anatomy. Uh, it was, yeah. But, you know, watch yourself the and make... still bothered me more, but sure. <laughs> um... Another uh, style point, the uh, the very, very, very long takes and how mm. many of them there were. Um, lots of steady cam, lots of just unbroken shots, which I love. I thought it had a real great sense of, depending on the circumstance, either realism or mm-hmm. anticipation or unease or other things. Like, these, he knows how to get different, he not only how to make a good steady cam shot, but how to get a different vibe from a steady cam shot. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even the the sequences, like he knew exactly how long to make them. Some mm-hmm. of them kind of just end and yep. that's it. And sometimes it's like you sit in this moment for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like the scene that I mentioned before that we will not talk about right now, but we will soon. Oh, very, very soon. That went on for, it felt like, half the movie because you are just yeah. stewing in this like really tense mm-hmm. emotion. But um, yeah, I, I think... It's, yeah. 
Well, there that, and then another one that is similar, I think, is because um, for one thing, another scene that seems to last forever is the New Year's Eve scene. Like you don't really realize it's a New Year's scene until like it's pretty deep into the scene, but it takes up a long chunk of the movie. Yeah, like from the very first, like people starting to show up at this party up until it abruptly ends with. William H. Macy, and he Oof, delivered yes. a great, another great performance. We forgot to mention him, which is kind of apropos considering that his character is just, like, the most, like, you know, hangdog, you yeah. know, like, disrespected person in this cast. Is he a producer? I wasn't He's sure. He's, like, the AD. He's, oh, like, okay. the assistant director. Okay. Um, who basically, in, <laughs> you know, the in the scene that we're talking about, of this, this New Year's Eve scene... He catches his wife for the third time in this movie right. having sex with another man, and he snaps, and he goes out to his car, and he gets uh-huh. a gun, he shoots them both, and he comes back out in front of the party guests, and he shoots himself in the head. Almost right. this entire thing is in a single, unbroken cam shot. Right. You think about how many things happen in that party scene. Number one, well, before we get into that, yeah, the William H. Macy thing, it, it was so comical up till that point. Yeah. Because every time he would catch her... Like she's she's at these parties and she's just hooking up with some guy yeah. in a room, like in public often. Yes, so it always starts with him. Kind of you'll you know all these different things are happening at parties and then you'll key into his kind of storyline and he's looking for his wife. Yes, and by the second time you know exactly where his wife yes. is and he'll find her and usually she's like very publicly hooking up with somebody yeah. that you don't care who, um, and he'll be like what are you doing? She'll be like, what does it look like? Or someone else will say, what does it look like? And you're just like, and then he'll kind of walk away all embarrassed, like, you know, because she'll say like, oh, you're embarrassing me or shut the door or something. And so he's clearly kind of the just like, kind of. And so he walks off and it's, it's so funny until he goes and gets a gun and shoots them both I and then shoots himself. I'm, I'm and interested it's in the fact like, that you yeah. think that it's funny. I was it's... like, this is like another one of those like pathetic character scenes every time it happens. Because it's like after, the, like, after the first time, it's obvious that it's not the first time that, yeah. that he's caught her in this situation. But then the fact that it happens like th- two more times in the movie, it's like every time, like they make it like a comical scene. Like the second time is at a different, like a pool party. Mm-hmm. And like the director of photography catches him. And is like having a conversation with them. Was like that oh, was man. hilarious. That was, was that so was funny. True to like working with DPs, it was a very like. They're like oh know, yeah. Like, but the lighting, man, and like you know what? Is, at one point, he's like, "Well, he just wants it to be like very scaled back or very oh, yeah. minimal." And he's like, natural. "Well, the thing you don't understand about minimal is like it actually takes a lot to create." And he's like, "No, no, he doesn't mean natural. He means minimal. Exactly. We mean low budget." He's exactly. Like, well, you know the resources to create that, and you're just like, oh. exactly. Like you said, working. In this medium, I've had similar conversations. I've had, we I've been on have. the other side of that where it's like, no, no, the thing you think is simple and low budget is actually not. So it was just, it was funny. But yeah, I, it's, I thought the William H Macy stuff was funny because it's so surprising. It's, you know, it's not at all how you'd expect either of them to react in that situation. It could have been dramatic had it been like, oh my god, like discovery, like oh she's cheating on me. But like you said, like you realize that this is not the first time it happened. He literally is an AD for porn. Like right. you assume his wife is either a porn star or she's just like in the industry somehow. Yeah. So you know, it's a lot of very progressive sexual relationships. Ooh, I don't know if that's yet, quite. Anyway, go on. In this, we can talk Maybe. about that. But but then he is like 
kind of holding his wife to the standard of monogamy and kind of perpetually surprised that she's not upholding it. So it's it's kind of comical in that like schlubby kind of like oh shucks yeah character I don't kind know of I uh I I would say that like if you don't have like a very specific agreement with your spouse there is no greater form of disrespect than cheating like cheating and not making any attempt to conceal I, I'm not and saying it's not disrespectful intentionally doing it in front like that is one like that is like one of the worst things you could do to your spouse I think oh I'm not saying I am not at all endorsing this behavior I'm not right. saying that this is how you should treat your spouse in the real world but in the film I think they set it up to be kind of funny like it was uh, it it was comical like it, in the same kind of like Michael Scott like love like uh, who else am I thinking of? Like the Toby from The Office mm-hmm. kind of way that you just kind of, he can't win. And it's kind know. of is, funny that he can't win. I feel like this is too extreme to be funny, honestly. Okay. I feel like it's in it's it's too it's too much of like a situation that could be real to mm-hmm. be like that and, and how like painful it would be if you were actually in that situation and you just didn't have. Because he like his biggest thing was like he just didn't have any like backbone to do literally anything about it mm-hmm. until finally he snapped and decided that the only thing that he was going to do about it was kill two people and himself. Yeah, I mean and, that was yeah. yeah that was extreme, and I think it might just be a difference of sensibilities. I thought there was intentional surprise in him in them pushing it that far. The times that it went that far in the movie were. I thought supposed to be kind of starkly surprising because there are really only, I can only think of like three extremely violent scenes Mm -hmm. in the movie and everything else is very, like we said, very scaled back from the Mm -hmm. NC-17. So I I think, yeah, I I can see how it is definitely kind of a disturbing thing to see. Well, the fact that like, you know, you talked about the surprise by the time that he actually like commits like the murder suicide. It's like that long take is kind of what I was talking about in terms of like build, like you have enough time to dread it for a long time because he goes out and gets that gun Mm -hmm. and then he walks all the way back into the house and you thought like another director might gets the gun, cuts to bedroom, boom, boom. That is not the way this movie plays things out. You have enough time to see him Dig around in his glove box, be like, okay, what is he doing? Get the gun out, check to make sure that it's loaded, tuck it into his pants or whatever, mm-hmm. walk in at a normal walking pace, mm-hmm. and then walk down the hall and just like, you know, it's, it's, you have enough, plenty of time to be like, this is, this has become far more serious. Yeah, but I don't think, I didn't come to that until I think much later than you did, because even then I was like, oh, he's just going to, like, freak out. He's going to, like, go into the party and just cause a scene or something, and then it becomes clear where he's going, and you're like, oh, no, oh, no. And then you don't even see that. You don't see him kill no. his wife and and her, you know, but you see not him, even lover. You, you do see him paint the wall with his own brains. Yes, so. and even that, but that is, there is a decent amount of time between mm-hmm. him killing his wife and him walking out. Yes. You cut to the reaction of the party. You cut back to him. He has a beat, and then he mm-hmm. kills himself. In a very, like, you see all of that. But even then, you have, for me, it wasn't necessarily dread until kind of the end where you're like, hmm. uh, what's it going to do next? It was more like, where, where is this going? What wow. are you going to do? What's see, happening th- this here? this is interesting because, like, I, okay, I have a pretty, like, comfortable relationship with just guns in general. I don't want to, like, turn this into a topic to talk no, about yeah. guns. But, like, 
as soon as I saw him get that gun out of his car, my stomach dropped. And it happens every time I watch this movie. It's mm-hmm. like, not because I know what's going to happen, but the first time I saw it, that was exactly, I was like, oh no, I know exactly what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And now I have to watch him walk. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. So that also pretty much covers what I was going to talk about in terms of this movie going between humor and drama, mood whiplash, mm-hmm. which, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, moving right along here. Um... As far as themes are concerned, I thought the the biggest theme throughout this movie was expressed during an early scene with Eddie in his pre-Dirk Diggler days when he says, everybody's got one special thing, which I think is something that is like... I which, think it, go, go on, what were you going to say? Which he was pretty much directly referring to as penis. Yeah, but... but it seemed like even in that moment, he, as stupid as he was, realized that he was he was talking about it in more of a metaphysical sense. And in his own case, that just happened to be it. Which, <laughs> that leads me to the question. I, I that's, a, that's, a, that's a very sweet sentiment. Everybody's got one special thing. My follow-up to that. What if your one special thing is about as superficial as it gets? Uh, yeah, okay. So that is, I think, that is why I was not totally sold on the ending. Because it was really hard to tell in this movie what was, like, metaphor, and what was just straight-up penis worship. <laughs> yeah, like, well... that... That's... Yeah, that is what it was. But... Uh, it, it was exactly the same thing. I Was it superficial, or was it about, like, this kind of... This niche that he was going to fit in? It's... I mean, when he says it, it's... By the way, well, you are... He's you not are, even You sure. are issuing more double entendres than I can count. Uh, accidentally throughout this whole conversation. I am, I am restraining myself more than I thought possible yep. by not pointing out every single one of them. But go on. <laughs> Just blanket statement. Kyle's noticing all of them. Yes. I um, mean, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's... It's... Like, uh, I, I don't think that there's anything special about being a porn star, quite frankly. Like... I mean, not everyone could do it. I think anybody, any asshole with the inclination could do it. I don't think anybody wants to watch anybody have sex. Sooner or, like, I would be willing to bet that virtually anybody could make some kind of money. Are you telling me videotapes and amateurs are the future here? I refuse to believe it. Well, uh, I think that the good folks at YouTube would be uh, uh, more than happy to set you straight on that one, just in terms of general content. Uh, Amateurs and videotape, my friend. Anyway... But yeah, I mean, honestly, there's nothing particularly special about this guy. He's dumb. He's like, yeah, he's attractive, obviously. Mm. He's a movie star in real life. Mm -hmm. But, like, he's got one distinguishing characteristic about his entire being, and it's very superficial. I don't know, though. I mean, I think he is dumb, but there's also this very naive... (laughs) Oh, I want to talk about that, too, later. But um, he, he is not... He is a good kid. I think the movie makes it pretty, like, he he does truly care about the people around him. Mm-hmm. His, like, even when he falls, like, sure, he, he becomes kind of a mess and he becomes a jerk. But I think you're supposed to attribute a lot of that to the drugs and to kind of the where That's he's true. at. He is, I think we see him be just very genuine and sweet and likable in the beginning. So his special thing is not necessarily completely superficial, He's also like a he's a good genuine kid. Like 
Yes. He's interested in pleasing the people that he cares about and and he he lets success go to I, I don't even think he really lets success go to his head. I think he lets drugs go to his yeah, head. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it, even he does, when he's really successful yes. before the drugs, he is so earnest in mm-hmm. his enjoyment of what he's doing, in his and I don't mean that like in the yeah, obvious know, way, know, in, his, in his love of this family that he's he's part of now. Yes. And that brings me to the next major theme here. Um, I've got a lot to say about that, but I'm going to let you have mm-hmm. the last word on that one. Um, the idea, the acceptance and family theme, mm-hmm. like that is a very obvious theme throughout this film. Absolutely. Um, with some very, very obvious examples being like Amber, for example, Julianne Moore's character. Uh-huh. You know, she is literally a mother, but she's being like kept away from her child, which for frankly, I think good reasons. Sure. She's like, a coke addict. She's, she's a, coke a porn star. She, which yeah, on like, its own, maybe not necessarily a bad thing but the fact the that the porn like, star thing yeah yeah the not, coke addict thing the coke know. addict yeah the fact that like you know when she has the custody hearing with her ex-husband and like he describes like picking up the son at like one of these like porn parties uh-huh. i'm like yeah i believe him 100 percent based yeah. on what we've seen so far so it's like i don't think she's necessarily a good mom to an actual child no. but she is so desperate to like fill that niche among the people that are actually around her to like there's that one scene that's really weird and mm-hmm. sad with her and Heather Graham doing coke and mm-hmm. um like toward the end when Heather Graham just says I love you mom are you my mom yeah and it's like so sad and, and but it's like that is really that's the kind of quote-unquote mother that she can be well right I mean for me I thought that scene was a little overwrought like in I the agree. point it was trying to make I thought it was made so much better and I thought it was really interesting when Mark Wahlberg, like, has the freak out and basically mm-hmm. leaves the family because he's, like, has a falling out with Burt Reynolds. They're supposed to shoot something and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. He's on meth. He's, he's, he just... Oh, was that well, That's meth? what he was doing. Like, when, when him and Tom Jane were on the couch inside, oh, okay. it was, he was, like, talking about the crystal. They were snorting meth. Okay. So, when he's high on meth and he's having trouble getting an erection, he freaks out and tries to get... Um, He's like, okay, I'm ready to shoot now. I want to shoot now. And he just kind of loses it Mm -hmm. on set with everyone. Mm -hmm. And he and Burt Reynolds get into it. But then um, uh, Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman and stuff are trying to pull him him away and trying to cool down the situation. And he yells at Julianne Moore that, like, you're not my mom. You're not my mom. I don't need you. You're not my mom. And walks off. And so after that scene where, like, he's kind of gotten into it with almost everyone on set, all Mm -hmm. these, all the main characters. Yep. The camera focuses on Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman's yes. re- reactions, which, you know, it could have, I think in in an obvious situation, you would have cut to Burt Reynolds. You would have yeah. seen Mark Wahlberg. You would have seen Burt Reynolds. Arguably, but, these are the two people that care about him the most. Yeah. And I think that made that point way more beautifully. That, like, I agree. It was obvious what he was saying. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the point because you've gotten you've gotten exactly what Amber's deal is. Mm-hmm before because of the way she's treating um eddie you get it she wants to be someone's mom but just having him yell that explicitly at her and then holding on her reaction afterwards was i thought that made the point without needing the coke scene yeah at least to be as long as it was it was pretty long i agree that scene probably could have been cut out altogether um poor roller girl though i'm glad to see she finally went back to school um but uh and then just to briefly touch on it here because we're getting pretty close to time um, 
the theme of like kind of growing up and changing sort of like the adolescent fantasy worlds that can't last forever, kind of a Neverland attitude. And eventually everyone in the movie reaches some sort of a conclusion that is not necessarily where they began. Like mm-hmm. John C. Riley more or less becomes Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. <laughs> um, Roller Girl goes oh back to school. God. His magic show. So great. It was Oh, so funny. I want to watch so, a movie like, about that character. Yes, I want to see... I just want to see his magic show. I would go watch that magic show. You know, I think we're overdue for sequels. That movie came out about 20 years ago. I would love to see Reed Rothschild in, like, 2001. That's, oh, my god, That's what I would like to see. Yes. Doing doing magic shows. Yes. That'd be the best. Um, but, yeah, uh, I did love the one line, you know, also the reluctant shift to video, new mm-hmm. media, like that kind of growing up, more or less, where yeah. Burt Reynolds finally agrees to it. I did love that one line from Kurt, the DP, when he says, this is video, we shoot it, then we deal with it later. <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh, you know. You just do, fix it in post. Just fix the it in post, The original fix yeah. it in post. So, so cheap compared to film. Um, yeah. But yeah, moving along here, uh, some key scenes. This is something we don't really do too often, but I thought it might be kind of an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, I definitely think, for this movie. Let's just, let's just get it out of the way here. The drug deal scene. Oh my gosh. I have not sweated more in a movie I since I don't know when. Yeah, so this is the scene we keep referencing. They, um, John C. Riley, Mark Wahlberg, and uh, what is Tom, it? Tom, Tom Jane. Jane. Tom Jane. Um, go on Tom Jane's stupid. The dumbest. The dumbest. Only three, like, 21-year-old boys high on coke would think this is a good idea, or meth, or whatever they were doing at this point. They go try to sell baking soda as $5,000 worth of coke. Yes. And as they're in the middle of it, instead of, like, cutting and running, taking their money and run, they're selling it to this weird, eclectic... How do I know? I... He looks a lot like Alfred Molina, but it's not Alfred Molina. Okay, is that... Let me just do a quick... Yeah, so Tom Jane is like the brains of this stupid operation. At this point, by the way, they're all living in a motel That's room. That's exactly who I thought it was, but it's not him. It's yeah. not Alfred. Okay, um, yeah. But yeah, Tom Jane, he's got this... Hatched this plan that he's going to sell literally just a bag full of baking soda to this drug dealer as though it is cocaine and get $5,000 and then split. Yep. Um, but he's got an ulterior motive, which we don't know about until late in the scene. Um, very late. Very late, that he wants to steal from this guy's personal safe. Now, up till that point, we get into this room and he's playing Sister Christian by Night Ranger, yeah. of course. And that's, I think, the song most closely associated with this scene, um, oh. just in pop culture. Um, but he has, there's a, there's a svelte Chinese guy in a half t-shirt just lighting firecrackers and throwing them off around the room. Oh. And we know that there's a guy in the room with a gun. We know there's two guys in the room with guns. And we keep hearing these firecrackers going off and they sound oh. like gunshots. And they're at irregular intervals. Uh-huh. So you know another one's coming. You don't know when. And every time the characters jump and you jump. I jumped so many times in the same time. There are some really well-timed ones and it is such a good... I mean, it's it's dumb because like why that would never work in 90% of the scenes that are trying to create this emotion because yeah. like what other scene would have a character just randomly lighting off fireworks and, and that's the thing like it'd but be this t- kid is literally just like throwing little like poppers yep. around it's oh. it's and 
I, I think it works because we already have established from just the decor and the situation. As soon as you walk in the door of this place, you know something's weird. Mm-hmm. You know this person that lives here is an oddball of some variety, and you don't know how weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that the, with these firecrackers going off, it just works. And this is something you actually do see parodied from time to time in like TV shows and movies and things I'm like sure that. I'm sure I'll like, notice it you'll, now. You'll see it every once in a while. And it just the tension just ratchets up constantly throughout. And the music switches over to Jesse's Girl, which I don't know if you picked up on this. Probably you did, but there's one part where the music is playing and it's a tight shot on Mark Wahlberg's face just spacing out. He's expressionless. He's on the couch. And, like, the camera doesn't move. He doesn't move. He barely blinks. Mm -hmm. And this goes on for, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. It's weird. And, like, again, it's kind of, like, ratchets up the tension because you don't know what's going on around him. You don't know what he's thinking. It's bananas. Then the guy pulls out a gun. The guy that they went to go visit, he pulls out a gun and starts playing Russian roulette with himself. Oh, God, it, yeah. It, and that only, and all the while, firecrackers still going off. Ugh. It's crazy. It's so nuts. And there's the the guy who's kind of the house... The bodyguard. The bodyguard yeah. of this weird guy who opened the door and it's like... a big dude he's clearly got this gun that they've seen and he's mm-hmm. sitting behind them yes they're sitting on a couch facing mm-hmm. the, the weird guy and the bodyguard is sitting behind them looking at the coke and like weighing the coke quote unquote that is actually just a full bag soda. of bo- baking soda that they've just they've been sitting here while the guy like opens it up he's like weighing it and stuff and so you can't see what's going on behind right. them there's just so many elements layered on top of each other that you're like, I don't know where this is going to go next. I don't, they're like surrounded on all sides and I don't know how they're going to make it out of this yeah. one, but oh, it is so stressful. It's crazy. And that is the scene that really pushes uh, Eddie Adams slash Dirk Diggler to return to the safe and loving environment at Jack Horner slash yep. uh, Burt Reynolds' home. So yep. it's, uh, and that is sort of like the last really dramatic scene I think in the movie before mm-hmm. it kind of gets into the coda of like the end and seeing like where are they now kind of stuff like yeah. apparently that was the last straw for Reed Rothschild he cut and ran and became a magician full time yeah we like never really see him again um but no With that was family, like the last time we see him is like doing the magic act right know? like he never rejoins the family so no. much it's just kind of mm-hmm. magic for yeah. him um another key scene I thought also in violence is the donut shop scene. Yes, I wanted to talk about this Please. because we. This is a scene with um, Don Cheadle and uh, Jesse, yeah. his wife mm-hmm. at this point, or his. You know, we don't know if they're married, but right. they they have a child, or she's pregnant, yeah. and he goes into a donut shop to Which, get a dozen donuts. Yeah. Before we get there, like the build up to this for them in particular was that this is right after he had been denied his bank loan for his uh stereo shop was it right after though because she wasn't pregnant in that scene you're right it was that was like the last time that we saw them right so like yes so at this point the setup to this that's important is Mm -hmm. that he has been denied a loan for his a business loan right but in that scene very briefly i just want to say like to the point that i made earlier about how like their relationship is just so sweet and perfect Mm -hmm. um the way she looks at him when he is giving his speech for the loan. Yeah. Like, I think everybody deserves to have somebody look at them that way at some point in their life. Like, the, so the, the admiration and love in her eyes was palpable. It was amazing. And the confidence that he had, 
It was it was great. Like yeah. it didn't work out obviously, but it did it was like that moment I was like this is a strong relationship. Yeah, and you really after that New Year's party, which I meant to say this when we were talking about the mm-hmm. New Year's scene, so much happens in that scene yeah. that is important for the rest of the mm-hmm. movie. The William H Macy thing is it's a major point but it's really not that important. It's the very end. It's like the exclamation point at the end of a very long sentence. Right. But And he's another... He's a total storyline that you could have cut out as mm-hmm. well, and this movie wouldn't have been that different, at least in terms of, like, plot. Yeah. But, yeah, so they meet at that New Year's party, and pretty much every time you see them after, mm-hmm. it's just about them being together. Like, mm-hmm. they are always together. You are kind of tracking their relationship. Yeah. Along with him trying to start this business, which he talks about in that New Year's scene, but... It, it's their relationship is a big part of why we follow them from yes. then on. But so yes, the donut shop scene. Yeah. So having ah, oh, that is interesting. The two plot lines that I think you could almost completely cut out end in like hugely violent yep. ways. Yep. Which so the donut shop scene, he goes in to get a dozen donuts while Jesse, who's pregnant, is waiting in the car, and this guy robs the register. There's one other man in the um, donut shop, and he's clearly, like, a gun enthusiast because he's, that, like, reading a gun magazine, which I guess you should check for before you come in and rob the, the fir- place. He had, like, NRA pins all over his hat, and he was wearing, like, one of those, like, hunting vests or whatever. Yeah. Like, Another that, dummy. Yeah. The first time, by the way, the first time that I saw that movie. Not the NRA guy. The robber who comes into a place stupid. with literally just one person sitting in it. Full of NRA pins, Who is but... obviously carrying a gun. Like, yeah. you don't see the gun, but he is obviously carrying a gun. So, the first time I saw this movie, I do distinctly remember, like, when the camera cuts to that guy, which mm-hmm. is, you don't see him at all until after the robber has made it clear he's robbing the place. Mm-hmm. It cuts over to the guy who's reading, like, guns and ammo or something yep. like that. He looks up, and I, I see that, and within one millisecond, I was like, that dude has a gun. Yeah. Like, it, it's so obvious, and it's so comically obvious. I'm like, yeah. I know it's about to happen, but this is still kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, not going to get into this, but it is that, like, case in point of the, like, if good guys have guns, this stuff wouldn't happen. Yes. It ends in the, so, the gun owner, the gun owner, the guy who is in the donut shop already. hmm takes out his gun, shoots the robber. The robber shoots the guy with the gun. He, like, falls back and shoots the guy at the counter uh-huh. who splatters brains all over Don Cheadle. In his pure white suit. Oh, God, it was That was horrifying. a little much. And Don Cheadle is just left the only man standing in this donut shop splattered with blood, which I totally thought he was going to get killed on accident. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, poor Jesse is yes. pregnant in the car and she's going to lose her the father yep. of her child. Yep. But no, he's the only man alive, and the robber had already gotten the money out of the register, yep. so there's just a brown paper bag full of money. Don Cheadle grabs it and go. He deliberates. He's a good guy. He's, yeah. He grabs it and goes and owns opens his shop. Yeah, the last it. time we see him, he's shooting a commercial for his brand new uh, uh, stereo world. Right, Buck which stereo is world. Uh, directed by Amber and shot by um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. <laughs> is it Steve? Stu? Uh, no, Scotty. 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 Um, yeah, so that was, it. I was like, what are we supposed to get out of it? Like, it's, he's... Hey, I, I think that that whole thing was set up, you know, inter- coming up intermittently, that that was, I mean, this whole movie is really meandering and kind of just exploring Absolutely. the lives of, like, a multitude of characters. I think that's the MO of the movie. Mm-hmm. And in their case, it's almost like it, like that whole storyline more or less builds up to a, well, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Question. Yeah. And... 
because we've established that this is one of the most pure at heart characters in this story, we're okay with it. Yeah. He's earned it. Honestly, I think you're totally right. I think if almost any other character had gone for that, it would have been uncomfortable. Like, it would have been hard to handle. If this had been... For example, if this had not been Don Shield, this had been Mark Wahlberg's character, yeah. and this had come right after he got beat up by the guys in the pickup trucks, yeah, and he was in that situation, and he took the money, still more or less justifiable or understandable, it would not be as, like, the, the audience would not be as much on his side. Yeah, I think I would have read it as, like, bitter. Like, yeah. now he has turned into a, like, well, society isn't going to give me anything, so I'm going to take what I can get. Plus... We know what each of those characters would spend the money on. Buck's going to spend it on building his dream with a business. Right. Mark Wahlberg would have blown the whole wad on, excuse the expression, uh-huh. on meth. Right. He would have blown it all on drugs in a day. Mm-hmm. And he would have probably died of a drug overdose, honestly. Which I don't remember if this is how it happened, but is that, so that whole sequence, is that when we're cutting between Mark Wahlberg getting beaten up, Roller Girl having a run-in with a guy she went to high school with who, like, who, recognizes her. Who, by the way, did and you And then rec- she beats him up and, I think, kills him. I don't know if he's dead at the end of the scene, but that's she, ambiguous. She does, uh, yeah, she does He should be, by him. right. Yeah. By the way, did you recognize that guy? That was the guy that was making the blowjob faces at her in the classroom from the early in the movie. Okay, I was wondering just was because him. it was, like, that's the one person we called out in yes. her high school days, but okay, all right. But anyway... That, yes, those two scenes are intercut, and then the first thing that follows it is the donut shop scene. Okay, does it follow it or is it intercut? No, those no, two are intercut, and then it, the, that that and, scene is okay. uncut, and mm-hmm. it follows those two uh, parallel thing uh, mm-hmm. situations. So, um, but yes, that's a so major... it's, we've got like some kind of major losses for these two, and right. then like a major win for yes. him. So, I I still can't really reconcile in my mind why all of these were in the same movie but it's a loose connection i but didn't i mean i didn't have a problem with it i just yeah well his follow-up to this was magnolia have you seen that no so that movie is similar except it takes it to more of an extreme it takes place over the course of like a single day uh-huh. and it just follows the lives of like a whole bunch of different seemingly unconnected people that's not the kristen dunst one is it I don't think so. Okay. I'm not sure. I I don't remember. Uh It's been a long time. Um, But, I mean, you know, happiness is kind of the same way. Like, these people were loosely connected to each other. Just, like, so it's, you know, it's another movie where people don't necessarily have a close connection to one another necessarily, but it it all kind of tracks. Although that was more of, like, a theme united Mm -hmm. them. This one, it was more of just, like, it literally was just following different members of the family. Mm Mm-hmm. The quote-unquote family. Melancholia is the one that I'm thinking of. Ah, yes. Yes, Um, yes, yes. But yes. Yeah, and okay. I mean, yeah. I I didn't have a problem with it. Like I said, it just was like, what? Like, are we supposed to understand these these people in context of each other? Or are these all just people who are related in one way or another? And we're seeing all their stories packaged together. Yeah, I think that was more the case. Mm -hmm. And it was just like kind of... Again, like in this case, I thought the meandering narrative was... It worked. I thought it was fine. I Mm -hmm. thought it delivered in a full total package of like... You know, varying themes of, like, people following their dreams and, like, mm-hmm. what is going to... Again, very much like happiness, what's going to make these people happy? Mm-hmm. Um, for Buck, it's a very tangible thing. You know, he wants to be a business owner, and he, nice. gets, he gets his happy ending. Um, but at any rate, any other... As we're kind of wrapping up here, any other favorite scenes or moments that stand out to you that are, were particularly noteworthy? Um, 
I guess under the category of like, not sure why it was included, but it was still kind of fun. <laughs> there's just like a disco sequence that's like, yeah, yeah cool. Like, the, I had a porn and disco, the 70s, man. Pretty I much. don't know. It was, it was two, still fun. Two great tastes that taste great together, you might say. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I don't want to say that. Um, it just was a, like... I don't, anytime you can include a dance sequence in a movie, mm-hmm. I'm here for it. But I just thought it was like, oh, that yeah, was cool. The shopping thing, like, I think that was like kind of, again, kind of the culmination of like Mark Wahlberg, like adjusting to like, yeah, I'm a fucking star now. Yeah. I'm a star. I'm a great big shining star. Yeah. I dance disco because I'm a star. But yeah, because he's now a part, because the first thing that we see in the whole movie is the nightclub scene and we see like that world. And now that's his first night where he feels like he is actually part of this group mm-hmm. he's in this universe he's in this world um so yeah I, I i agree that was kind of funny and like could have been cut but i'm glad it wasn't mm-hmm. um there was that great interaction between buck and uh reed rothschild when like reed is doing like the magic trick and buck says doesn't it make you nervous dealing with all those evil forces oh yeah horses <laughs> another great like i can't hear you so saying the call back to uh gun uh guns of navarro yeah uh, yeah yeah um, no, Force 10 for Navarone. Force 10 for yeah. yeah. Um, the recording studio scene was great. Like, you, uh, you got the touch was just, like, painful and oh hilarious at the same time. But then you see, like, cut to John C. Riley in the booth, like, He's dancing to it. it. And you're like, like have you yeah. ever seen, That reminded me, have you ever seen the video for Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time? No. Because that song was produced by Rick James, and in the video, it's, like, in the sound booth, like, Eddie Murphy recording the song, and it cuts to the recording uh, booth. And Rick James is, like, behind him, like, yeah, this is it. This is it. Oh, my God. It's great. And so this reminded me of that. Such supportive friends. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like there was one other thing that I was going to bring up, but I can't remember what it was now. Shoot. Um, Oh, oh, oh. This is, like, a small moment, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Again, because, like, the idea, like, really kind of driving home the point of just, like, how young and uncomfortably young Mark Wahlberg is supposed to be Mm -hmm. in this movie. When he is shooting his first scene... Mm -hmm. The suit they put him in is, like, too big for him. So mm. he really does look like a kid pretending to be an adult in that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you picked up on that, but that was very obvious to me this time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they did kind of scale him down in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. So it, I, don't know, I, thought it was, I thought that was interesting. And then the end, I think you're supposed to, I guess, believe that um, Roller Girl and Roller Girl and uh, Eddie are both living in the house with Jack and Amber. Yeah. So it's kind of this family situation. Like, he... In a very uncomfortable way, yeah. Kind of, but it's also kind of like, oh, they've come back together. Like, these are their people. And it does another kind of tracking shot, very similar to the beginning. And Jack says something about, like, Amber, if you just move, like, clean your room. If you move the mess to the other side of the room, then you'll have a clean... Like, some kind of, like, dadism to her. And so you're like, oh, so they're kind of... Like, they're just kind of making their own family, and that's the yeah, happy ending it's, it's, everyone yeah, gets. Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts before we uh, bring it to the end here? Um, I would be curious to see how true to life some of this stuff was, because I think that would explain a lot of the, like, why did we include this stuff? Like, the colonel getting, uh, I guess, put getting put in prison for... Um, child pornography, that's what the... Child por- yeah. pornography plus... I guess the reason they picked him up was because... He had a 15-year-old a... girl ODing on cocaine in yes. his house. Yeah, that too. Which is apparently not the first time that's happened, because that's when we originally met him. He had some very tiny-looking girl yeah, OD I... on coke. And that's the thing. It's but... like, with the cast... With, with Anytime you get a movie, sometimes scenes like that, you're like, how old is this person in real life? How old are they supposed to be? Right, yeah. And I think that in that scene, that was intentional. Yeah, totally. 
But yeah, like, why did they include that? But I don't know. It yeah, there was a lot. There's just a lot yeah. more always to dig in with a movie like yeah. this. But we touched on most of the stuff that I I reacted to. Yeah. So. Um... Oh no! Actually, there was one thing. Just very please, quickly, please. but watching great actors play terrible actors is miraculous. It's great, yeah. Julianne Moore being a terrible actress when she yeah. had, when she was in the porn films was like, oh my god, you're just like that much better because you can play terrible, and whereas, I, I really enjoyed that. Whereas Mark Wahlberg's performances are not that far from like a normal Mark Wahlberg performance. Well, because he had like a bit of a music career, I kind of wonder how much he like put on that like bad singing thing. Well, he was a, let's not put too fine a point on it, but I mean, he was like a hip-hop performer. Yeah. Like, he didn't really have to carry a tune that much. Right, true, but I, I feel like, I don't know, I, that's gotta be so interesting to watch Someone who is, you know, just amazing. Not, you really can't draw parallels yeah. between Mark Wahlberg singing and Julianne Moore's acting, but you get my point. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm just, I'm really impressed by that. Um, before we wrap up, I did have one last fun fact for you here. Okay. Um, so Mark Wahlberg was not the first person considered or offered the role for this, uh, for this oh. part. Mm-hmm. If you had to take a stab at another at young actor from circa 1997 who was, you know, Big again, if you'll excuse the expression. Um, who who do you think might have filled this role? Because I've got an answer here, and I want to see who you think wow. would play this role. Nineteen ninety-seven. What other movies were coming around this time? Um. Well, Tarantino just done Jackie Brown. That doesn't really help you because everybody no. in that movie is like over forty. I think. <laughs> um. Let's see. Several movies. Several movies. Lots of movies the came out 90s. in ninety-seven. Uh... Wahlberg. Who could fill Mark Wahlberg's shoes? Uh, oh, man. I really don't know. I'm thinking too old. I'm like going back kind of to the 80s mm-hmm. with who I'm thinking. Because like, 97 was, yeah, I mean, that was 21 years ago, but it's not that long ago. Yeah. You know, this movie's not as old as I feel like I remembered it being. Like a, who's, uh, he's such a specific, like, everyone I'm thinking of is like either not quite in the right time frame or too like dramatic i don't want to like because i have several in mind that i could say but i don't want to give you enough of a hint because i do know the right answer i here. know i know i want a do little you, bit of a hint do you want me to just tell you i mean no i want a little okay. bit of a hint um think still famous definitely still famous sure oh still famous today yes still okay. famous today yes um a-list superstar today a-list superstar today uh Will Smith is coming to mind. I could see Will Smith doing something like this. That could like be this. interesting. Um, I, think was, I think he was about to do Wild Wild West by this point. Oh, no, wow. Men in Black was 97. Oh, okay. He, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like other movies that came out in the 90s, like Fight Club or The Matrix were both 99. Oh, wow. I thought um, Fight Club was thousands. Um, Brad Pitt? No, but good guess. Nice try. Give you one more guess before uh, I tell you. Just one hint? One, like, small hint? Did he do anything interesting on TV? I'll, I'll give you one hint. Uh, he made a... He, he turned down this role for a, another role that turned out to be, I think, a very wise decision financially. Oh. Uh, was it a franchise starter? Nope. No. Franchises didn't exist in the I 90s. I was going to say, that was before that time. Uh, Please. It was all it was all original, uh, original content in the 90s. <laughs> No franchises. Um, no, yeah, like, oh, it's still an A-list. Okay, 
Man, I don't know. I feel like you're going to say it and I'm going to be like, uh, duh. Um, <laughs> I hope that's exactly Johnny right. Depp? Uh, duh. Duh. No, uh, no, not Johnny Depp. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to work backward a little wait, wait, bit. Wait, wait, uh, Russell, not Russell Crowe. Nope, the guy that I always get tied up with Russell Crowe. Kurt Russell? No. Because he's definitely too old. No. Um, Colin... Uh, Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell. No, it was not Colin uh, Farrell. Okay. So, um, I said that he chose a different role um, in a movie that became turned out to be a much more wise financial decision, I think. Uh, it was a little movie called Titanic. Leonardo, <gasps> Leonardo DiCaprio, DiCaprio chose not to take this role because he was going to be in Titanic instead. Wow. Okay. I'm picturing this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and I like it. I can yeah. believe it. Yes. Yes. I absolutely... He's the ingenue we needed. I have Mark not, Wahlberg killed it, but... I haven't seen DiCaprio play a stupid person... I've seen him play mm. Gilbert Grape's brother, but that's a different mm. thing. I think, do you think maybe he was played a little more dumb because that's, not that Mark Wahlberg is dumb, but I think he plays kind of lughead naive more than I could see him playing like completely innocent naive. Leo DiCaprio would have been like a very, it would have been kind of like a Romeo and Juliet, like just a wide-eyed, like, young, naive kid. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I think DiCaprio would have been too confident. Really? I, for Because this was not... And, and I mean, like, I don't know that he could play the complete, like, broken man that mm. that Wahlberg does in the same way. You know? Yeah. He's great, and I'm I, I'm not saying that he's a, not an actor that could pull off, like, you know different mm-hmm. <laughs> different human emotions um but i i definitely think that like using Wahlberg was a, a it was the best thing that could have happened to this movie i can't think of anybody that would have played this particular part better okay i could have seen it with leo dicaprio i would have been really interested would to have see been that interesting. movie it would have been interesting i would like to see both i would like to compare them side by side sure. but but no guess we'll never know now mm-hmm. but um at any rate so without further ado because of course since we just reviewed a two and a half hour movie we had to go over time yeah um so uh, without any further delay Kari, what do we have to look forward to next week so i'm going to give you a journey movie would you prefer something where they are trying to find home or where they have to leave home I've seen both The Brave Little Toaster and uh, 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 Homeward Bound, so uh, those are both out. Dang it. Okay, give me a minute. Right, oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh, boy. How about where they have to leave home? Oh, I'm glad you picked this oh, one. Dear. So a man gets sent on a mission from God, and he must go somewhere that he would really prefer not to go. Time out. Hold on. You asked me before we started recording if I'd ever seen anything by the Veggie Tales. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to pick is, this This is now. perhaps. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about the Veggie Tales with you. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, Folks, yeah. this is the only podcast where you will ever have a movie about porn stars in one week and uh-huh. a movie about anthropomorphic talking Christian vegetables the following week. I had to overcorrect. I'm very, I'm so excited for this total whiplash. It's going to be great. I'm excited for your film analysis. Kay, have you seen, uh, let me make sure I get the to- title exactly right. 
Jonah, a VeggieTales movie. You know that I have not. I do know that. I just asked you. Um, well, <laughs> I'm so excited. You dropped that in so smooth. Like, you never saw any of the VeggieTales, did you? Uh, and I didn't even, nothing in my brain even I suspected. I am a master. I'm literally patting yourself on the back, high-fiving yourself. I just, like, mental food you. Ugh. It, like, I, I think that it was just like, myself. I think it was just my own brain was just like, there is no possible way that this is remotely related to what we're about to do or talk about. Yes. Well, you know, I'll tell you the backstory of it later, but, um, can't yeah, wait. can't wait to discuss this movie. I, you can find it online. It's probably less than an hour and a half. I'm going to give myself a challenge that I'm going to try to find some kind of countercultural subtext to this movie that was yes. obviously not intended. No, no, no. I am thrilled for your take on this movie because it is literally a children's movie about vegetables so whatever you're gonna read into it i'm excited to hear okay cool well (laughs) anyway i'll let you sign off yep get pumped there you go um so yeah i guess that's gonna do it for us on k have you seen my name is kyle i'm kari and oh my god we'll see you next week yeah we will you got the touch you got the power